Did you know you can support your local independent bookstore and me in my efforts to promote books that feature women in aviation by shopping for your next aviatrix read on the Literary Aviatrix website? I built the website to serve as a central source to search and find books featuring women in aviation, and it was important to me to offer you the opportunity to buy from independent sellers. If the book you're interested in is available on bookshop.org, you'll find a link to purchase through my affiliate account on my website, which means I'll receive a small portion of the sale to support the content you love. Blue skies and happy reading. Hello and welcome. I'm Liz Booker, Literary Aviatrix, and I'm thrilled to celebrate the launch of a new picture book, Hilo Girls, The Firefighting Pilot. Cody Bogart, welcome. Thank you, Liz. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm so excited to talk to you about this book. Can you give us a synopsis and, and maybe do a reading? Oh, I would love to. So the book is an inaugural book. It's my first one of a series and it's called Hilo Girls. And it just so happens that the first one is um, a, a firefighting pilot named Abby. And I'm happy to, to do a reading uh, just starting at the beginning of the book. Let me get to the page here. So it starts out, hi, my name is Abigail, but you can call me Abby. Welcome to the team. We're glad you're here. What is your name? And then there's a spot for the kid to write in their name if they choose to. Next, let me introduce you to the crew. After that, we can start with a mission brief. Hey, everyone. This is, hopefully the kid says their name. My son does. They will be on our team today. The crew includes mechanics, air traffic controllers, ground support personnel, and ground firefighters. To ensure we make smart, safe decisions for our flight, we use an acronym called PAVE. P is for pilot. The pilot is the person flying the helicopter. I'm your pilot and I am prepared and excited about our mission. I'm feeling great and I've already taken care of our pre-flight preparations, so we are good to go. A is for aircraft. This is the helicopter we're flying. We will fly a helicopter that has the performance we need. We have looked it over to ensure it meets safety requirements. V is for environment. This has to do with the weather and visibility. We are flying in clear weather conditions over rolling hills. E is for external pressures. These are things that create challenges for our flight. Our operation is to help ground crews put out fires with our water bucket. That is our challenge. We need your help to locate the fire and water sources off in the distance so we can fill our bucket. You are our observer. Can you locate the fire off in the distance? You found it. Great job. Now we have the fire located. Let's find a source of water nearby. You found it. Great job. Let's fill our water bucket at the lake you found. But first, we have to make sure the area is safe by completing a reconnaissance, also known as a recon. We need to go through our recon checklist to determine whether the area is safe for us to descend and fill our water bucket. First, we must identify where the wind is coming from. Where do you think it's coming from and why? Good. We can see that the wind is moving to the east based on the movement of the clouds and the trees and the way the flag is waving. Is the area clear of obstacles or hazards? Do you see any? Great job. We see the birds on the far side of the lake and the set of power lines. We want to maintain a safe distance from those. We also see that the water looks calm. 
Now that we've identified the obstacles and a clear path in and out, we're ready to fill our water bucket. That's perfect. That's so great. Oh my gosh. And it's like, here's what I love about it is that first of all, that you made it interactive, that you bring the reader in as an actual crew member, you know, that you're briefing them as a crew member to be a part of the team for the flight. And it's, you're very accurate in like the steps and the things that we're thinking about as helicopter pilots. Um, but without being uh, super heavy handed about it, like it's not very wordy, uh, but yeah, and you're using some decently large words, you explain them, but you know, I just, I think it's great. It's such a great uh, way to bring children in to our operations. I cannot wait to hear about the inception behind, you know, the whole idea of, of doing this book and what else you have in mind. But before we get into that, I definitely want to hear about you and your career because you are a helicopter pilot. Is that correct? I've been flying for almost 20 years. Um, I actually started out as a military aviator in 2004. So when I went through flight school, um, then I went straight into the Black Hawk flying medical evacuation missions. So Army. Um, yeah, absolutely. So Army warrant officer. Definitely wanted to stay um, in the aircraft and not end up behind a desk <laughs> over time. So the warrant officer corps really worked well for, for me and uh, how I am, my style. Um, yeah, but after I got out of the military in 2009, I actually went to a, a flight training school because everywhere I tried to get a job, people were like, hey, you don't understand power management. You've been flying this big helicopter. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> so I actually went and got my CFI and double I in a Schweitzer 300, which is a very small aircraft and it transfers power via eight V belts. And it was so simple that I just, it was a challenge sometimes to wrap my head around. But um it was a fun and resilient aircraft to learn on. And then I taught for a couple years. Um, and then I was offered a, a position with a local sheriff's office. So I went and flew law enforcement and air ambulance under a Part 135 certificate. So that was um, a lot of fun. I super enjoyed that. And that's given me some materials for the follow-on books that I have um, all planned out up in my brain. Uh, from the law enforcement place, I actually went back to the flight school and I went back to mon- uh, manage our contract students. So all of our students that like come from Bristol, Nigeria, Trinidad, Tobago, uh, the Ghana Air Force, things like that. Um, and with that, I kind of moved into a chief pilot role. So um, I did that again for a few more years. And then I went back to that same law enforcement agency and I flew intermittently. So while I was doing other things and other jobs, I'd fly, you know, four or five times a month as needed uh, based off of their scheduling and if people needed leave. Um, so that was really nice for me to continue in that mission profile uh, for a few years. And then only a couple of, well, about a year, a year and a half ago, I decided to, to stop flying and focus full time on my business and working on the book series. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Okay. I have so many questions. So first of all, as a child, did you know you wanted to be a pilot and why helicopters? Why the army? No, I did not actually always want to be a pilot. In fact, I'd never even thought about it as a kid. Um, either either didn't know it was an option or I, I just didn't even didn't even cross my mind. I actually grew up thinking I was going to be an art professor. So I loved art. I love painting, watercolor, sculpting. I like junk sculpting, all sorts of stuff. So I just kind of thought that was my direction. When I was in high school, I was actually offered a, a full scholarship to the New York Art Institute. And I turned it down because I was like, I'm going to go to Chicago. <laughs> and so I went and visited Chicago and I realized I am not a city girl. I like, I like greener pastures. Um, so I decided to not do that. During this time, my brother actually joined the Navy and he was my best friend growing up. And I just wanted to be near my brother. So I enlisted in the delayed entry program in the Navy when I was in high school. 
um, at graduation or just before graduation, I uh, got my first real boyfriend, if you will, and he was in the Army Guard. And I thought we were going to be together ever, you know, forever. So I uh, stopped the delayed entry with the Navy and I actually enlisted in the Florida Army National Guard. But so that's kind of that journey. I think what's worked for me is, um, you know, you can fly helicopters and still draw and still paint, but it's really hard to be an artist and paint and draw and still be able to fly helicopters. So <laughs> it kind of worked out. Wow, that's so fascinating. Oh my gosh. Okay. okay. And then, so um, did, did you deploy while you were on active duty? Like what were the years that you served? Yeah. So I actually joined the, the Florida Army National Guard in 1997. Uh, I did uh, a couple of other different jobs before I became a helicopter pilot. Um, I went on a morale flight and I was like, this is it. I love this only to find out that my eyesight was not where it needed to be, to be a pilot in the military. So I was doing some human resources work with the, the Florida national guard and uh, everybody knew that I wanted to be a pilot, but it just wasn't in, in the cards at the time. So a, a gentleman who's my mentor to this day, he came up to me and he let me know that the army and the Navy were getting together for uh, a study program for pilots to have refractive surgery. So either LASIK or PRK. So um, I was so excited. I applied to the study. I was accepted. The Navy did my eye surgery. I did all my flight aptitude testing and physicals. Wait, hold on. That is, I just want to say like that's, that you were part of that study is amazing because that, that opened the um, opportunities up to so many qualified, otherwise qualified candidates who never had an opportunity to fly, um, before I was in officer personnel management for the Coast Guard later, like 10 years later. And it was because of that work that you did that we were uh, able to offer so many more opportunities to go to flight school. It was, that's just amazing. That's really cool that you got that opportunity. Yeah. That's really nice to hear that from the other end because, you know, I don't, I never got to saw any, you know, see how that worked out for anybody. So that I actually love hearing that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And, you know, as the person who was selecting people for flight school, you know, we had a much more robust candidate pool because all of these people who wouldn't have been qualified before were. Yeah, really neat. And then so what they would do is I was in flight school is they would look at my test scores, things like that. I would often go in for uh, physical or eye, eye exams, right, to see how things were looking. And like halfway through flight school, it was approved and I didn't have to do that anymore. So I was yeah, really excited first to be done with that. But, you know, to have that opportunity to not only pave the way for myself, but other people is, yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> Before I actually went away to flight school, I knew that, that my National Guard unit was going to deploy and I knew when or like a roundabout time with what that looks like. So I knew as soon as I'd finished flight school, I'd only be home for a couple months before going over to Iraq. And that's exactly what happened, um, which I anticipated. And I was actually eager to do, I, you know, as a medevac pilot, you really want to help um, not only, you know, your soldiers, but your NATO allies as well. So um, I was in Iraq in 2006 and 2007, which was really neat. So we were um, a medical evacuation team. And what they do is you have like your main operating base and they send forward uh teams, if you will. So we were uh, a forward support medical team and we had three aircrafts. Um, sometimes that would flux between, <laughs> between what was up and available at certain times. But uh, we had one, I was in uh, at Diwania and then we had another in al Kut, another group. And so uh, that's kind of how that worked for us. We flew in and out of Baghdad with most of our patients, um, unless there was like a head or neck injury, we'd fly them even further north up to Balad. But uh, I really enjoyed that time. I grew a lot. I learned a lot about myself, my my leadership styles or lack thereof sometimes. Um, but it was a really exciting time for me, not only, you know, just as a brand new aviator, but um, 
as you know, a, a female aviator. And then I was just so eager. So I worked so hard. The military is very different than the civilian world when it comes to pilot command. So you're not like officially pilot in commands, um, even if you're the sole manipulator of the flight controls. For my unit, it was around 500 hours. And then you had to do check rides with you know, the maintenance test pilots or the instructor pilots, and then ultimately the senior standardization pilots um, before that was even a, a thing. So it was really exciting for my unit. I was the only female to be uh, pilot in command for day, night, and night vision goggle operations. So it's really exciting <laughs> for me, but I, you know, I geek out on that stuff. Oh, that's amazing. And so then you talked about the, these transitions, um, to, to smaller aircraft. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, we have sixties in the Coast Guard too. And, and if those who are watching can see, I pulled out my little model of a 65, which we, we joke about 60 pilots too, because our, we have, our, we're torque limited in that aircraft. And so, you know, 60 pilots would just crank an arm full of collective and overtorque the plane in a second, you know, and we were very delicate. So yeah, I never, I we would never do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, it happened <laughs> for real. <laughs> and even the, sure. the army pilots who came over who had been flying the big ones. So yeah, um, that's really great. And then, uh, so tell me about flying for the sheriffs. Um, were these all single pilot operations night, um, IMC, or were you, you know, dual pilot, how, tell us about that. Yeah. So when I was at the sheriff's office, actually, is a single pilot operation. We were flying. We had three Bell 407s. Um, I say it wasn't a single pilot, but not single crew, right? So I had a task force observer, my TFO with me, who would also an EMS, like an EMS certificate is what they have, right? So that if we have um, law enforcement calls, they're running the cameras, the FLIR system, all of that, and do the recordings, um, and they'll often help, you know, where to direct stuff with a laser. So like I could see where I needed to look if I wasn't on the same target as them. Um, in addition, so if we had part 135 air ambulance calls, then they would go to the back with the patient and work on them while we flew back to the hospital. But yeah, single pilot operations. Um, yeah. So it's so funny. Um, in the Coast Guard, we kind of joke about, um, uh, like, for example, I was flying with an Army pilot. A third of the pilots in the Coast Guard come from other services, mostly the Army. And there are a lot of warrant officers who come in. Um, okay. I was flying not with a warrant. He was a, a former um, commissioned officer in the Army. And it was his like some of his first flights at our unit in San Francisco. And uh, we had this weird tasking to go up into a valley to to assess salmon spawning. Um, so, you know, one of our, our um, missions in the Coast Guard is environmental protection and, and marine life and, and that kind of thing. So we would help out with those kinds of things. And this guy, of course, as an Army pilot, is very comfortable flying around mountains and getting really tight um, in the valley with the terrain. And I'm like white knuckling it. I'm like, okay, I'm not like I'm the aircraft <laughs> commander. I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. Let's back up from the mountain a little bit like it, it's gonna reach out and bite me and then the next day we're in the aircraft and we're over the water and like you know we hover at 25 feet mostly 30 to 25 feet over the water to do our hoisting and and drop down below 15 feet to deploy the swimmer um if they're gonna just do a free fall 
And this guy was terrified. So um, <laughs> I, I have a lot of respect for for pilots who are flying because as a share as a sheriff's pilot or as an EMS pilot who are flying, you know, sometimes single pilot at night in terrain around cities and stuff like that. There's just a lot going on. And so all, all the respect for you being able to do that and do that safely. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I have one lucky thing about that is I'm in Florida and it's very flat. Uh, it's towers, True. guy yes. wires. That's main obstacles right there. <laughs> Wildlife, birds. But. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I flew, you know, for four years out of Miami and, and I'm down here too. So yeah, I know what you mean. Not a lot of mountains coming out to bite you. That's just good. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you have um, a favorite case or uh, a, a mission that you look back on fondly and with a lot of satisfaction and are proud of that you want to share? Um, I mean, I have a couple missions that stand out. I have uh, two air medals and a Sikorsky rescue award for a lot of the work that we did when we were overseas. Um, uh, there are a couple of uh, missions that make me a little bit emotional, but um, I think the thing that I mainly derive from all of those is really just the teamwork that it comes from being on a multi-crew. Um, my unit where I was at, we would fly. We were the only unit in in Iraq that would fly a single ship. So if we could not get gunship support, we would go uh, regardless. And I think a lot of those ethos, um, you know, trying to do th things the best as we could, uh, are the way we worked as a team, right? That stood out to me the most. Uh, at no point when a crew came back from a medical mission, did they have to refit their aircraft? Did they have to get soda or coffee or anything? Like we, we took care of everything for them to allow them to decompress, uh, to debrief uh, and to recalibrate for themselves, you know, before they accepted another mission. So I don't have one specific right now. It's just more of a, they all just kind of meld together. I, I do remember flying at the sheriff's office. So we were in a Bell 407, which is a, not an IFR certificated aircraft or these ones were not. Um, I was actually going on a mission with my TFO and a medic and I knew weather was going to be coming in. It was a potential issue. So I was like, let's go do one patrol flight now. Uh, while it's good, let's just go check out the county the weather. I, briefed the, the weather to my TFO. We discussed it and I was like, Hey, you know, just, I want your help to incite it. So we moved South. We flew South of the airports. I didn't go too far, you know, just something to still get a patrol flight in, uh, to support the ground officers. Um, and so we would continually look back now we're on, under night vision goggles, right? So we're continually looking back at the airport. And I was like, you know, I've not seen any clouds move in because by the time you see clouds and stuff, I'm sure you're familiar, you know, under night vision goggles, it's probably already too late, right? So you're already in a little bit of it. So um, we started to get like a little hazy and I was starting to get the the glow around the lights that happen when there's more moisture in the air with the night vision goggles. And so we just turned back to go to the airport. And I swear by the time we got to the airport, it was, we were in, we were in IMC, right? So um, not a, a, an IFR aircraft. Luckily, i you know, I study a lot. I happen to love instrument flight rules um, when I was teaching. So I was constantly in that mentality. So I had us over the airports and I was like, hey, you know, I can still see the lights on the airport. So I'm just going to do just a nice slow descend towards those lights. I can see, you know, some of the runway. But we got to a point and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, we're just going to commit. So I just leveled the wings, climbed at altitude, uh, up out of the clouds, and then just headed over to the hospital in Daytona. It landed at there, landed there. Um, but I think that's probably memorable to me. You know, a lot of pilots just don't like to commit to IFR. Maybe they just haven't done it in a long time or their training's not up to, to where they feel it should be. Um, and they don't trust their instruments maybe, but I was just so happy to commit. Like I was so comfortable, like, you know, what am I doing here? Let's just, 
let's just level the wings. Let's just fly the aircraft up out. Let's go somewhere else and wait for it to clear. Uh, a really good, good decision yeah. <laughs> that day. And my medic, yeah. like he was like, Oh, we were so close. I was like, yeah, but it's just not worth it. <laughs> no, let's just, let's just yeah. go hang out at the hospital. We can get some really good food and like, you know, exactly. live, live another That's day. Amazing. <laughs> exactly. Right. Fly again tomorrow. Yep. That's so good. So as an instructor, uh, I know I'm springing all these questions on you, but we, we haven't had a chance to talk before. Um, so as an instructor, what makes a really great helicopter student pilot? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, a lot of the students I initially flew with had uh, English as a second language. So okay. I think for me personally, as a instructor, it was patience. Um, but when it comes to a student, you know, you can have the will to do it all day long, but that gets you nowhere. But if you don't put the effort in to study, you know, to actually do some chair flying, put a poster up on the wall of what the switches look like, you know, get in an aircraft that might be, you know, just sitting out on the ramp and just talk yourself through things, you know, just, I think just being dedicated and immersed. I think the students who found themselves more immersed, they weren't too busy or inundated without going in town to party or socializing, you know, just like I was at flight school, I was so immersed in it. Right. And I think that right. worked really well for students too. Um, when I was a chief flight instructor, right. So I had um, all my flight instructors were male, but they would obviously have female students. And it was always a joke to me. So if, if they had a female student who was having a bit of a challenge, I'd be like, let me fly with her. It'll be great. And so I kind of do this little debrief of what I'm going to do uh, with, with their student. So I get the, so me and the girl were sitting, you know, we sit in the aircraft together and I was like, listen, I'm going to give you the best advice I could give you as a, as a pilot, especially a female. And I was like, don't fly like a man. <laughs> I was like, fly like a girl. And I was like, we are soft, methodical, gentle. We don't jerk the controls. <laughs> you know, um, it was really just like an ego boost. I think it was for fun, you know, to just bash a little bit <laughs> sometimes and joke around. But, um, I, the students, yeah, who definitely immersed themselves and really gave it their all, I think, were the best. But, the, you know, there are times where I had to send students home who were even still doing that. And that becomes a different emotional challenge, right? Because you don't want someone to become a, a pilot who you think can harm other people in the long run. So full immersion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I love that little that little example that you gave. Um, early in my career, I had somebody who was not he, he it was very intentional that he was insulting me. I think I was timid turning away from a ship after a takeoff or something like that. And he said, stop flying like a girl. And uh, but the aircraft that we flew was really, really sensitive, like I talked about with with both torque and with um, the hydraulics. I mean, if you get super, if you try and do the kind of stuff that army pilots do, like returns to target and that kind of thing in this aircraft, and you are not skilled, you are going to probably cavitate some hydraulics and get control lockup. So, and possibly kill your crew. So it is actually a benefit to fly pretty gently in this aircraft. And the only time I've ever reversed that is when I was with a good friend of mine. And we, I, I joke about it to this day because it's the only time I've ever said anything like this, but he just was like jerking his plane around. And I don't know, he was doing these really <laughs> rough landings. I was like, can you stop flying like a boy, please? <laughs> That's God. right. Get it back. Give it back to him. <laughs> yeah. Like you're beating this aircraft up. Calm down. Yeah. That's little, so funny. Little ease and gentleness goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Especially in a helicopter and especially in, in one that, that requires a little more careful management for sure. Absolutely. Well, this is really cool. 
all the respect to you for all of your helicopter experience. It's amazing and so exciting to have somebody with your credibility and your experience bring that to Books for Children to cope, draw them in. So tell me about this journey and and uh, the inception behind this book and where it's going. Tell me all about that. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a daughter who is now 12. So... <sighs> Of course, being a mom who flies helicopters, I was so excited to get all these books for my daughter about helicopters, just to get that bug and plant that seed within her. And so when I started researching books, you know, again, like 12 years ago, 13 years ago, um, I couldn't find things that I really liked a whole lot. One one book I ended up buying, it came from like, is it, I bought it used. It was like from the 1960s. It was a cute book, but it was about a dog who heard a noise and like, is it a bird? Is it a mosquito? And at the very end, we find it was a helicopter. But at the time, I really couldn't find a lot of good helicopter books. And I didn't care about the gender or anything about it. I just wanted something with helicopters in it, um, but for mm-hmm. young young children. And so that was a bit of a challenge. Transitioning forward, I have a son who's now six. And again, when he was born, I was like, I need some helicopter books. And so I found one book and I really liked it. It was really cute. Um, one thing I guess I didn't care for a whole lot in it was some of the technical aspects, for example, um, the pilot, female pilot was excited about that, but she was also the one who was uh, hoisted down to save the patient, uh, which is a cute little puppy dog. <laughs> but I was like, that, I don't know what that's teaching my kid. Like, yes, I understand autopilot <laughs> and hover holds and all that, but that just didn't make sense for me. I still purchased the book. He still loves it. It's really cute. But in my brain, I was like, I just, I wanted more technical aspects. Um, I wanted it to be like it really is. And so yeah. for me, that, that's kind of what started that that journey. And then I just, I have such a hard time falling asleep. It's usually like an hour and a half. I get very frustrated. My husband, he lays down two seconds later, he's out, but I'm just sitting there and I think. And so over time, I've just kind of told myself these stories. And so I just thought, man, I should do something with this. So. Okay. And so, and then, so then how'd you go about doing it? Like you just wrote it or did you get some training on how to write books for children? Like, cause it kind of feels like you may have. So tell me all about that. Uh, completely. Um, so just talking with my husband and I, you know, for a couple years and I was like, oh, I just really would like to do this. And maybe it's, you know, that's on my bucket list, right? That's something I want to do. I want to write a children's book about helicopter, helicopter missions. And so I don't remember who I was talking to and I was just mentioning it. They're like, oh, it's a really good idea. And I was like, yeah, it is a great idea. I need to do this. And so I started to just do some personal research. Like I don't have, I have no clue what's required, what's needed. What does it take? What's it look like? What's it smell like? Right. I have no idea. So, um, you know, I was looking at big, big publishers and I was like, man, they're so hard to get into. And then you have to hire someone to help manage you to get you into those people to even let them see your manuscripts before, you know, even know if you have a chance to, you know, to work with them. So I was like, that kind of, I don't really like that. I don't have that time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have that patience. Um, and then, you know, you obviously got to compensate that person for a full publisher. They actually own the rights to the book. So if there's something that they want to change over time, they can, uh, I didn't like that because I'm very, structured in how I think about things. Uh, I had an acquaintance, he did a book and he self-published it. And I was like, well, that sounds like a lot of work too. Like, I don't want to draw everything and I don't want to do all the marketing and I don't want to print it and bind it. I don't even know where to go for that. So that's just, that's too much time <laughs> for me. So I looked at um, hybrid publishing. So I did, I searched up a couple uh, companies who were hybrid publishers. So, and that's exactly what I chose to go with, with a company called Blue Balloon, um, the parent or a subset company of ballast books. So blue balloon is all their children's books. And I really liked, you know, yes, I, 
I own 100% of the book. I could take it anywhere with me when I when I want to go. If I don't want to stay with them, which I'm very happy with him, I don't intend on making any changes there. Um, I, but I retain the rights to my book. I could change whatever I want. So I like that. They offer a, a whole bunch of different illustrators. And so what they did was they just set me a portfolio of like all these people um, or their illustrations. And I was like, oh, I really like this one. I like this one, this one. I picked about five or six. And I was like, if you could ask them to draw you know, a female helicopter pilot and a helicopter. And I just wanted to see what their flair was on that. And then uh, one young lady, she did a wonderful job. And so that's where I ended up with with who I have today. But you know, the the hybrid publishing for me, again, works out. They offer a certain amount of marketing, you know, and I could go above and beyond that, which I do. Um, they offer, you know, they do the the binding, the shipping, all that stuff. So I don't have to worry about any of that, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> uh, but yeah. super happy with how that looks on a, on a hybrid published piece. Well, all of that is wonderful to hear. Um, I have talked about this before for, especially for the writers who have listened to sort of my more focused writing uh, conversations. Um, I earned my master of fine arts in writing for children and young adults. And so I was immersed in this world where pretty much everybody was beholden to the, to the, traditional publishing industry. So all of the advice I got was that in order to get my book into the hands of young readers, I absolutely had to go traditional publishing. And um, as through this project, you know, and talking to uh, so many authors and also to a hybrid, uh, an owner of a hybrid publishing company, I have discovered that, you know what, I don't know about all that. Um, that, you know, I don't know that I want, uh, to give my, the rights of my book to a publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I really like the idea of, um, them, you know, getting 90% or, you know, 85 to 90% of the sale. Right. Um, and especially when, honestly, like I would have to pay probably for my own, um, marketing and publicity on my own anyway, regardless. Right. So, uh, it's very inspiring to see people like you put together a really, uh, and I've had a, a sneak peek at the book and we'll, for those who are watching, we'll make sure that they get to actually see the pictures on the screen when you do the reading at the beginning. So, um, it's really wonderful and inspiring to see somebody put together a very high quality book with beautiful art, um, and, and do it in a, in a polished way mm-hmm. so that your book can definitely get into the hands of lots of young readers. And I, so my question, um, if you don't mind sharing is what is the percentage take that the, the publisher is going to get on sales? And then also, um, are they, are they getting it into like libraries and what's the distribution like? Yeah. So uh, it's 80-20. So I get 80%. They retain Perfect. 20%. So that's really nice. Uh, again, it's and it's yep. all mine. So if I want to change or whatever, I can. Uh, they do all the distribution. Yep. So it'll be all in the brick and mortars, you know, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Books A Million, things like that. Um, I've recently reached out to them because I have an interest in doing an audiobook of it. So we'll see what that looks like. And they just, you know, hey, what, is, what do you envision for that? And like, I picture audio, you know, I imagine audio noises like with a helicopter or water splashing when the bucket touches the water. Um, and that's kind of near, near to my heart. My grandfather was, he lived with me and my dad when I was real little. Well, I say real little, it was probably sixth through ninth grade, uh, but he was blind. And so yeah, I remember him just getting lit tapes from the library all the time and just listening to his audiobooks. I was like, I'd like to do that for a kid who might not have the opportunity to fly. So how cool to be to immerse them in a book uh, to just get a small glimpse of what it might be like. That's great. 
That's wonderful. Well, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how that plays out for you and, and <laughs> to download that and listen to it too. That's so great. So this first book was this fire rescue and it, di- it didn't sound to me as you told me about your career history that you were ever did this mission. Did you? No, so not, I mean, not in a full like fire. I've done water bucket work before, mostly training. I've done sling load training. Uh, okay. So I've actually never physically gone and done the mission. I've just trained for it. Uh, I don't know why firefighting came to mind first, especially over your ambulance, because that's where my passion is. And then obviously law enforcement as well. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's because I thought I would just maybe nitpick those too much. And this just seemed like I could get it from a really nice high level aspect. Uh, but my uh, son is all in on the next one. He wants, he has begged me that it's going to be law enforcement. So I'm working on okay. that one in my head right now. <laughs> and our, is this pilot going to continue to be our, our same pilot? It's, it's called Hilo Girls. So is it plural, right? Are we going to have Correct. more yeah, other no, characters? So yeah. So each book will be a different helicopter mission and then a different girl. Uh, I just want to show. I don't know, just some diversity. And if, if, you know, if there's all types of girl pilots, you know, there's all types of pilots. You don't have to put the word girl in front of it. But uh, the next one for law enforcement is going to be Selma. She's a Brazilian Mediterranean. Uh, nice. Descent. Yeah. Then after that is uh, Zuri, which is an Eastern African name that I, I fell in love with. So those are the two girls. I've already kind of pictured what they're, what they're going to look like as far as, uh, you know, the hairstyles, I'm going to try to stick with the theme of the braids. Cause that's how I, you know, I always had my hair um, back in braids, yeah. but yeah, different girls all the way through. And then my best friend, Michelle, she told me the other day that I needed to get them some pet animals. So I think maybe at some point in the future, Abby might have to have a Dalmatian dog or something. <laughs> oh yeah. We love our animals in books too. Yeah. Especially yep. for kids for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about this. So tell me like, okay, First of all, we haven't talked about when the book launches. So when is this book? The book is available for pre-order now? Yeah. So it's avail- available for pre-order. You can go to the Blue Balloon website. So it's just blueballoon.com and go to the bookstore. And you can search up Hilo Girls. And there's other books that are available too. Um, it's also available for pre-order on Amazon. Uh, Amazon's great, but they take a chunk. So I'm trying to guide everybody towards a publisher. But honestly, as long as you get the book, I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, if you pre-order it, then you should get the book by January 16th is the, the release, full release published date. That's released date. Awesome. Okay. That's great. We're so excited. And so what do you think the timeline is on the next couple of books? Well, so again, because we did the hybrid publishing, I would really like to recoup what I have in before moving forward uh, or even yeah. at least get close to that. Um, I'll have everything written and ready to go once that happens. And I'll just then <laughs> just send it to the publisher again and be like, let's go again. You know, I know what it yeah. entails this time. So that hopefully it would come out a little bit. Do you have any events planned that people can, can hope to see you and get a copy of the book that we know about right now? So locally, I've started a, a nonprofit. We're still doing the paperwork for the nonprofit status, but called the Space Coast Women and Aviation Alliance. And the whole intent of what we do is we reach out to our, our community to educate young girls about the diversity in aviation. And I'm not meaning diversity about uh, nationality, but diversity in you could be a helicopter pilot, you can fly corporate jets, you can do upholstery, you can do marketing with um, aviation companies, food service prep. I mean, tons of stuff in aviation. You know, there's an opportunity for you in, in this industry. So uh, we actually have an event in February at the Florida Institute of Technology. So I'll have a booth up there and sell and sign books. 
Um, I'm also a board member with the Central Florida Business Aviation Association, and we have our annual Business Aviation Day at Shelter at Daytona Beach. I'm going to have a table there as well. Um, I am trying to work with a couple of companies, uh, or highly focusing on these two companies, whoever says yes first, but I would like them to sponsor the purchase of um, a few hundred books, and then I could be at their booth during Heli Expo. So Perfect. That's, yes. That's my big goal. Um, other than that, I've been reaching out to a lot of museums, uh, for specifically like the there's a Canadian museum in Manitoba that I went to. They're interested in getting the book. I was speaking to, um, I think it was Southern Illinois Airport. They're going to put some in their FBO. So that's just kind of how I'm reaching out to is airports and museums just to see if there's an opportunity to sell the book there. Excellent. Are you a member of Women in Aviation International? I am not. Um, I I love these big organizations. I do. I just I find a lot more pleasure personally focusing really small where I'm at in my community. Uh, I've gone to their events. I love the women who do these things. I'm happy to help. I haven't officially joined. I probably need to do that <laughs> though. Well, I'm, you don't have to be a member just because you're an author. You are invited to come to the conference in March. It's at, uh, in Orlando this year. And yeah, I'm the I did. one I who, that. yeah, yeah. I, so I'm the one who kind of helps schedule the authors. So I would love to see you there too. Yeah. I actually went there. on the website like a couple of weeks ago and I think I put my name in the hat for that, whatever that looks awesome. like. That's that will be great. So we'll see you there too. That's great. It sounds like you've got lots of action and lots of opportunities to introduce this book to your audience. I'm so excited for you. Um, are, where are you on social media that we can find you and and uh, and follow the progress of this book? Yeah. So uh, mainly, on, I'm mostly on LinkedIn. Um, I do not have a Facebook. I not a Facebook fan. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think it's the military me. I'm not super keen on social media. I know and I have been told I have to uh, branch out more, especially as I go into this endeavor. I actually tried to set up a Facebook page like two weeks ago. Um, and I, as soon as I put my name and my phone number in there, it locked me out and it said my information did, wasn't accurate or it didn't match. And I was like, well, I didn't put anything in. So I, I did like a like click here and we'll, you know, we'll see what's up and it let me back in. So I went on my site. So I'm not a Facebook talker. So if I say something wrong, by all means, but I went back in and I changed the settings. So like, like nobody could see me and I didn't want anybody to reach out to me. I just, me personally, and I was going to set up a page uh, for Abby and, and the Helos girls. And so I started to do that and then it kicked me out again. It uh, sense has not let me back in. So I have given up. I think Instagram is is a really great place for stuff like this, to be honest with you. And um, if you are interested in in like a little tutorial, I'm happy to give you. Yeah, you I know, might take you up on that. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, I've learned quite a lot. I, I was nowhere except Facebook before I started this project. And I've learned quite a bit about that world. So I'm happy to help. I'm just usually such a private person. Like I, I don't want to put it all out there, but I tell you since doing this book, I have been. <laughs> yeah. It's a new world, isn't it? No, I was the very same um, It as a military officer. Also, you know, um, as uh, the senior defense official in a foreign country, there, there were a lot of reasons that I was not out there. Um, and then so it was a big transition to 
be uh, as exposed <laughs> as I feel with this project. So I hear you. But yeah, absolutely. When you, uh, if you want to sell your book, it's got to be out there for people to find. And so, and, and for me to share. So like I can, you know, once you get that Instagram up and running, I can help promote it across my stuff too, um, whenever you're posting. So I'm, ha- I'm excited to be able to do that for you. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going to probably do a, a website soon, soon too. So I just, it's on my list. <laughs> oh yeah. You definitely want a website too. Yeah, for sure. Well, Cody, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Do you have anything else that you wanted to share? Um, I, I just wanted to say, like, I'm the type of person I, I like to plan things out. And I really didn't have a plan with this one. It really just kind of happened organically how it all came to fruition. But I just, if whoever is listening, if you have an idea for something, I don't care what it is, whether it's a book or, or something else, and you just feel it like inside your bones, just take one step forward towards that goal. You just, you don't really know where it's going to put you. And, and here you can be today with your own, you know, children's book and um, excited about it and speaking with great new people to promote it. So just, just one step forward, one step step in that direction for your goal. That's my theme song. Is it? If you take one step, you'll be closer to your dream than if you stay just where you are. Those are the words to my theme song. I did not know that. I swear. It's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> and that's true about a book. And that's true about uh, people who are, who have dreamt of being a pilot their whole lives. Just yep. take one step yep. and you'll be closer. Oh, yep. perfect way to close this out. <laughs> Cody, congratulations. Good luck with all the, the book sales. I will be out here promoting your book along with all of our other wonderful books, especially those that feature helicopter pilots for our children. Thank you so much and good luck. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. I'd like to thank Michael Wilds of Massif and Crew for his help producing this interview and his support of all things literary aviatrix. Blue skies and happy reading. Hey,